The Bible says when the Lord saw that the people of Nineveh had put a stop to their wicked way, until he saw that he did not do anything, that was when he said he would no longer carry out the destruction. Therefore, we ask, Lord, for mercy. We ask, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that there will be repentance in the land, that there will be repentance in your church. There will be repentance all over in the name of Jesus. Lord, we give you praise. Thank you, Lord, for answering our prayers. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Let us pray this evening, finally, that the Lord again will send his word to us. Open your mouth and pray that prayer. Pray that prayer. Say, Lord, my heart is open to receive your word. And I ask in the name of Jesus that you will send your word to me. Send your word to me. Pray. Ask that the Lord will send a word to you. Say, Lord, my heart is open. Send a word to me. Send a word to me. Send a word to me. Let another block be added again to my life. The building that you're carrying out in my life. Just continue. Send your word to me. Send your word to your church again today. Send your word to the nation this evening. That is our prayer. That your word will come to us. And will be built up. Father, we give you praise. Thank you again for gathering us. Thank you again because you have shown us and you keep showing us your mercy. And again, Lord, even as your people are gathered this evening, our ears are open to hear what you will say. Give us that ears that hear, the eyes that see, and the hearts that understand. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. All right, let's take our word, uh, the word of the understanding. Let's declare it before we commence our teaching today. Are we ready? All right, one, two, let's go. Now I declare... And the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It's healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That will be our testimony again today in the name of Jesus Christ. That the word that we are going to hear again today will enter our heart. It will give us light. Give us direction. It will heal us in every area. And it will make us more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. It's our school of prayer again today, and um, we are going to continue looking at um, the character of God and what we need to do in the time of trouble for the trouble that we are experiencing to go away from us. It's very important we understand this. Now, what we have been seeing again and again, one of the things I've tried to explain is that we must understand the character of God properly. It's so important we understand it. We cannot have effective prayer. We discussed that the other time. We must have the right perspective to things if we are going to pray effectively. I just want to review some of the things that we have said up to this particular point. And I think what is most important for us to bear in mind, believers, is the kind of person that God is. Let us not be ashamed of him. Let us not be ashamed. It's so important we describe him correctly. Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me you know, before people, I will be ashamed of you before my Father and his holy angels. Uh, What does that mean? Now, in the context in which we are speaking now, what we are saying is that we must understand who the Father is 
I will must not, we should not be ashamed of him. What I mean is this. Sometimes people are embarrassed to hear that God can kill. So try, do not try to remove the killing part of God and say he doesn't do it. It's the devil that does that. But I'm sorry, that is not the character of God. The God that we serve can kill. I hope you're getting my point. People, people wonder that, does it hurt people? We will now say that, no, under the Old Testament, uh, one Greek scholar said that um, uh, the word is passive. That is, is that when it says, I will not put on you, it means I will not allow. And like I say all the time, he uses the same word twice. You know, I will not put on you, you know, what I put on the Egyptians. Say so he only allowed it on the Egyptians. Basically, what we are saying is that Satan is controlling, that is, is a powerful force. God is only the, restrict, the restraining force. And that is not right. That is not how God is. God is the one that actually controls everything. Before Satan can move forward, he needs the permission of God. You understand? It, sometimes he's the one that does things directly. He's the one that wiped out the whole earth at a point in time and spared only the household of, um, of uh, Noah. Okay? He was the one that did that. It was not Satan. When God said that if you say that he only allows, he only, it also means that he only allows the blessing. That the blessing also does not come from him. It is not really accurate. We try to explain things. What's happening is that we are trying to make our God look nicer. I don't want to use the word that he really is. Nobody is nicer than God, really. Nobody is. It's just that we are embarrassed to hear that God actually killed people, men, women, and children. That why is God not merciful? We assume that he's so merciful that he never does such things. But let me just emphasize to us again. He never wills to do that. There's a difference between what he does and what he wills. There's a word of difference. What God wills is that which he really wants. And his desire is also always that people will live and not die. His desire always is that he will be a blessing to them and not be their adversary. That's his desire. All those things we call the will of God. So the Bible says that he does not want anyone to perish, but everyone should come to what? The knowledge of the truth. He wants everybody to come to repentance. That is just the way God is. That is his will. However, and that's what I want to emphasize again, there is his judgment. Please, let's never forget it. There is his judgment. There is his judgment. What is his judgment? His judgment is, now there are two ways I use the word judgment. Let me use the word decree. There is his decree. What I mean by decree is this. When he sits down in judgment, he will hear both sides of a case. For example, if he says to a man like Eli and his household, that you and your father's household will be priests before me forever. What is that? His will. I think we should read that. It's very, very important. Let's read that from First Samuel. That will help us get this thing rolling. First Samuel chapter 2. Look at what God said here. From verse 27. said, Then the man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in bondage to Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose them from all the tribes of Israel to be my priests, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to carry an effort before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the fire offerings of the sons of Israel? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering which I have commanded in my dwelling? And then you honor your sons above me by making themselves fat with the choicest of every offering of my people, Israel. Now please notice verse 30 carefully. Therefore the Lord God of Israel declares, 
I did indeed save that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. He said, now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. He said, behold, the days are coming when I will break your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. You will see the distress of my dwelling in spite of all the good that I do for Israel. And an old man will not be in your house forever. Now let me just stop reading here because I don't want to spend too much time. But you've gotten my point. What I want to bring out from here is to help us understand again the will of God and then the decree of God. When I say the decree now, sometimes I use the word judgment to also explain that. What I mean by judgment is that what God issues forth as his judgment but I decide to use the word decree rather than judgment because God sits in judgment and what he issues forth as his judgment may be good for us, may be bad for us. What happens all the time is that decree or that judgment. That's what happens all the time. Never, now listen to me carefully, please. It is not his will that happens. It is his judgment. However, his plan is that his will will be his judgment. I don't know whether you're getting my point. That is, what, that is his plan. His plan, his desire is that what he has willed will be his decree. Because nothing can happen on this earth until he decrees it. Please, that's all what we must understand. Let's not magnify this Satan to where God did not magnify him. He does not have a unilateral power in himself so that he does anything that he wills on the earth. To do your will, anything that you will, is only the glory of God. Nobody else has that. Even when you want to disobey God, God has to decree that you will succeed in your disobedience. I don't know whether you are getting my point. If he says no, you will not be able to succeed. Even the man that wants to do what is wrong, if God says no, he will not succeed. It does not mean that God is not complicit, okay? It's not, it's not an accomplice in what is in doing evil. No. It just means that God will look and say, if you have chosen to go, go that way, go. Now, when he says, if you have chosen to go that way, go. It means that he will not obstruct your going. And he has put his judgment behind. Sorry, please try and follow me. He has put his judgment behind that which he wants to do. But the reason is because he recognizes the will of people. Do you follow my point? And he does not obstruct their will all the time. Except it conflicts with something else that is going on. What I'm going to emphasize here is this. It is, it is, Satan doesn't have the right. Okay, He doesn't have the power in himself to just do what he wants. And God is watching out, what is he doing now? What is he doing now? What is he doing now? If he wants to do anything, he, listen, do you have, have you ever asked yourself why he came to present himself before God like was written for us in the book of Job? Was he, was he looking for punishment? Did he come to admire God? Have you ever asked yourself that question? No. For times he won't bother opening to it. But if you want to open to it, Satan came, or the sons of God came to present themselves and Satan also came. Why did he come? Should I tell you? It's simple. He came to obtain divine permission for the things that he wanted to do. That was why he came. He, came, he had a lot of things. I want to destroy these people. I want to destroy these people. There are things that God has given him as things that he can do all by himself all the time. As God gave that to him. For example, he can tempt people. Even then, he puts a limit to the temptation. You say, hey, hey, when you see Banky, don't tempt him in this regard. Why? It is beyond his power. I don't know whether you're getting my point. That's what the Bible says. God will never allow him to be tempted, allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able to. 
But anytime he sees temptation coming your way, it is because he has prepared grace by which you overcome that temptation. Please, I hope you are getting my point. So he says, uh, where sin abounds, what happens? Grace much more abounds. There are temptations that God will not let come to you. One day I was talking to a man, he said, ha, if God says I should go to Meduguri to go and preach, I don't think I will go. <laughs> I laughed. I said, don't worry, he won't ask you. Why won't he ask? Right now, he has not yet prepared you to the extent that you can handle such things. God will not come to many of us and say, sacrifice your only son, the way he came to who? To, to Abraham. He said, no, I have not yet prepared them to that level. Before God took Abraham to that level, he prepared him. Now, let's, let's go back to talking about Satan now. So Satan came that day to ask God's, please, can, let me use the word, <laughs> to ask God's blessing <laughs> on the plans that he had. The word blessing is not appropriate, but you understand what I'm going to say. You want to do something, he had to come and collect permission. God had to say to him, you can do this, you can't do that. That was, that was why he came. That, that is why you see that when we spend our energy praying, uh, attacking Satan, attacking Satan, we are, make, we are making a terrible mistake. He doesn't have that kind of power. People sometimes want to say, the Bible says, the thief comes not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That is true. But listen to this, that is his desire of Satan. That's what I'm going to emphasize. That is what he wants. So anytime he comes before the judgment throne of God, his desire is always what? To kill, to steal, and to what? Destroy. Let me read this quickly, something to us quickly. Let's quickly open our Bibles to the story of, um, what's the name of this our fellow again? What is his name? Not Job. <laughs> Sorry. Ahab, Ahab, Ahab. He said that who will entice Ahab to go to Ramos Gilead? Thank you very much. So that he might fall there. Now there's something I want to just bring out from that story. First Kings chapter 22. Quickly, for time's sake, we'll just quickly get to it. Micaiah says something in verse 19. Of course, for those who do not remember the story, let me quickly give you a background. Jehoshaphat had gone to Israel to go and visit. And Ahab asked him, please follow me to go uh, to go to battle. And Jehoshaphat said, let's inquire of the Lord before going. So they called all the, uh, the prophets that um, he had. And there were all of them. And they were all prophesying peace. Go, you will succeed. Jehoshaphat looked at all of them funny that these guys, they don't look like they are serious. They have eaten. The king had paid them, so they will prophesy anything that the man wants to hear. So he said, don't we have another prophet we can ask? And then, of course, um, Ahab said, there's one other prophet. But he never prophesies good concerning me. Listen, the Bible says clearly, there's no peace for the wicked. So, <laughs> so if a man is wicked, a true prophet can never prophesy good. Any prophet that's always prophesying good for sinners... People who have not repented, who are walking their iniquity, is a false prophet. True prophets don't prophesy good for those who are walking in sin. It is woe to the man, both the prophet and the man himself, that says it is well with the wicked. It can't, it's not right. It's not right. Tell the wicked, depart from sin. Anyway, that was how about the Micaiah. So Ahab did not like Micaiah because he was walking in the way of his um, wife Jezebel who had brought idolatry into Israel. So Jehoshaphat said, listen, let's just get him. Let's get what God will say through him. Let's not just talk like that. So they brought Micaiah. So Micaiah 
Of course, initially, he was mocking them. Then I said, look, tell the truth. He said, let me back up slightly, verse 15. No, verse 16. Then the king said to him, how many times must I adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So he said, now he began to speak the truth. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which had no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. Then Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Now listen to what I want to say here, that I want to read from here. Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. That's the throne of judgment. And all the hosts of heaven standing by him on his right and on his left. The Lord said, who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramos Gilead? And one said this, while another said that. This is what we call evil spirits now. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. The Lord said to him, how? And he said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then he said, you are to entice... Now, that's where I read all of this. Remember, God sat where? On his throne. That was his throne of judgment. And then, just like Job told us, the sons of God came. So you see them here on his right and on his left. The Lord sat in judgment concerning the matter of Ahab. And he said, this is what I want to do. I want him to be destroyed. Who will entice him to go to Ramos Gilead? Then a, pre- a, a spirit said, I will. He said, what will you do? The spirit said, I will be a lying spirit. Listen, the fact that you are under inspiration does not mean you are not, being, you are not lying. Those prophets you can see here, they were under inspiration by what? A lying spirit. Now, but why I read all of this is just one word. One, one sentence. Then the Lord said, the end of verse 22. Then he said, you are to entice him and also prevail. Go and do so. Now, please, I want you to understand how God works here. He said, you are to entice him and you will prevail. Without that word, you, it was not possible to succeed in deceiving Ahab. Without that word from God, it was not possible for this spirit to effectively possess his prophets, lie through their mouth to Ahab and Ahab will believe. That's why God said to Isaiah, go and deaden the ears of these people. You will speak my word to them. What is my word? Say to them, hear and don't understand. See, but don't comprehend. Don't perceive what is going on. That decree had to come from God. We don't like to hear that. We don't want to accept that God can issue forth a decree that a man should be deaf so he can't hear correction. We don't realize that. But listen, it is the whole counsel of God. I'm not trying to paint a picture of a nice God. I'm trying to paint the picture of the judge of the living and the dead. I want to paint a picture of the judge of heaven and earth. I want to paint a picture of the true God, what he is in his full character. We like only to focus on the side of God that heals, that brings forth prosperity, the side of God that gives long life, except that that is not all there is to him. Let me say to you, 
No child dies on this earth without God releasing the decree. Let me say this to you. Adolf Hitler could not kill one Jew without God releasing that decree. Listen, don't ever forget this. I am not saying that he likes it. I am just saying he's just. I was listening to a man man of God preach, and he explained that there's nothing, nothing that Hitler did to the Jews that God did not say to them, I will do to you if you do like this. That is nothing. What the love of God does is to warn people. What the love of God does is to warn us. What the love of God does is to say to us, if you go this way, this will be the just recompense of reward for disobedience. And when the time for that recompense even comes, love or no love, God still has to issue a righteous judgment. For example, it says there's no peace to the wicked. No matter how much you tithe, no matter how much you give offerings, no matter how much you pray, no matter how much you do evangelism, no matter how much you preach the gospel, if you are walking in wickedness, there will be no peace for you. Let me say something about God again. There's no partiality with him. He doesn't know how to be partial. You know, if you don't know the ways of God, if you are not careful when you are reading your scriptures, you are going to get confused. One of the most confusing things to me in the Bible, two things actually, but that was then, not now. Now, he said, my ways are simple to them that I understand. He has given me understanding, so I don't have any problem anymore. But two of the things about God that confused me, all right, were, one, the issue of Moses in chapter 4 of the book of Exodus, and then the issue of, um, what's the name of our, Balaam. In Exodus, God, of course, we all know the story of how God called Moses. Now, I want to emphasize the fact that God is not partial. God called, now, let me give you an example. All right, let me just break it down now. Who gave life to Moses? Answer me. God. Who, who helped protect Moses? Who raised Moses up in the house of Pharaoh? Who told Moses, Hebrews chapter 11 now, who told Moses to leave Egypt and go into the wilderness? The Bible says it was not because he was afraid of the decree of the king. It was because of faith. God gave him a word, so he moved. Who kept Moses in the wilderness? The God of heaven. He kept him in the wilderness. Who called him in the burning bush? This same God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Listen. Who sent him back to Egypt? Now, if he doesn't confuse you, you are too wise. It confused me for a long time. So we start reading that. Is there a secret rendering? We start digging out Hebrew to explain that that was not what it meant. When the Bible says, God met him on the way to kill him. The God who gave him life. The God who kept him on the um, Nile River. The God who put him in the house of Pharaoh. The God who kept him in the house of Pharaoh. Who took him from there into the wilderness? Who kept him for 40 years in the wilderness? And at the appropriate time, that same God called him and said, go back to Egypt. And on his way to Egypt. The same God, he came to kill him. That is why I always warn Christians. Don't feel special. The Bible says you should fear. You know, we do a Christianity that God did not prescribe. A prescri- prescri- prescribing in which we brag. I'm in the creation. So, 
Now, listen to me. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. I'm not taking that away. But we'll not start bragging like, I'm a new creation. So these Yamayama things of life, I'm too big for them. Nice. They will carry it into an extent. Even if I do what is wrong, God loves me. He will never reject his own child. (laughs) You think God is your earthly father. You don't understand him. You don't understand him. Sometimes when we have done some things like we have preached the gospel, we have won thousands and thousands and thousands to the Lord. We have given our lives to God, laboring for him for the last 40 years. If you look at the amount of offering we have given over time, it comes to hundreds of millions of naira. We suddenly start feeling special. I don't know whether you ever have ever that feeling. I can't bless this number of people and God will put sickness on me. I can't give this amount of seed and my children will not do well in life. I can't be taking care of other people's children and God will not take care of my own. Let me say it to you again today. It's a lie. What did I say? It's a lie. God called Moses and on the way to go and obey the call of God. God said, this boy is useless. Kill him. So he came by himself to kill Moses. Why? It is simple. Because setting out on the assignment, God required him to circumcise his children. And his wife said, the boy is too big now for circumcision. His wife said, it will be too painful. His wife said, well, it is you that God called, not these children. His wife decided that, listen, circumcision may be for you. It is not for us. And Moses decided to go without settling that. So God said, well, since you now have another God before me, all this preparation I've made concerning your life is useless. So I will end you, we will start again. Then Moses began to have a serious physical attack. And he began to choke. And something was going on with him. And because, you know, the Holy Spirit just came and said to his wife, Oh girl, your husband is going to die. Because you have decided to make yourself God in this house. And he's following you. When did that happen? He told you that God said, circumcise this boy. And you refused. And you are, you know, there are women that are like the, like the men in the house too. We are both equal. God created us the side, from each other's side. We are in partnership. Be speaking all kinds of grammar. As if they've ever entered a car where there are two drivers. As if they've ever flown in a plane when there are, there's no, no captain. The co-pilot is doing his own. The pilot is doing his own. The captain is doing his own. As if they've ever been in a ship where there's not one person in charge. God said, if that's the way you want it, that's the way you are going to have it, you will die. When God, the Holy Spirit explained all of these things to his wife, Zipporah, she quickly repented on behalf of her family, because the man by Dana was unconscious. He was fighting for breath. His heart was not beating right again. He had collapsed. He quickly rushed, called the boy, come here. It will pain you, but your father is about to die. This will save his life. Quickly circumcised the son. And God removed his hands from Moses and left. And like I always say, God does not play demo. You know what they call demo? Let me scare them small. When I scare them, they will repent. When God brings judgment, the judgment will continue. If you like, better repent. It's for your own good. 
The storm that came upon the sea was not trying to get Jonah to go to Nineveh. It was trying to kill Jonah. God said, here, you are not going. Now you will die. And let me say this to you. If you are listening to me, or you have heard some gospel that told you that that is Old Testament God. Let me tell you the truth. It is a lie. It is the same God. When he started the church and he found out that Ananias and Sapphira didn't want to fully change their ways. They only gave their lives to Christ. They didn't give the truth to Christ. That is their tongue to Christ. He kills them. Ananias and Sapphira were not killed by Satan. They were not killed by the devil. An angel struck them and they died. Please, the closer you are to God, the, please understand me, don't take me out of context. The closer you are to God, the less confident you should be concerning your ways. The more, I know we don't like it, it doesn't sound like faith, but I'll say it. Before God destroys all of us together, somebody has to tell the truth. The closer you are to God, the more fearful you should be. Today, before we came here, my wife was asking me some questions, analyzing some decisions she made. Is this right? If I, of course, I can't start saying all those things now. But if you see what, how trivial it looks like, she just everything has its own temptation. No? I need to make this decision. Was this right? Is this the right way to do it? And we sat down and analyzed it. He said, because working with God, we have to be careful. Some people don't fear God anymore. So they will mount the pulpit and said and start saying things like, God spoke to me today, and you want to raise money. I hope you have stopped that nonsense. Because this year is when God said, I won't take it again. She went in 2020. Say, until last year, I was watching all of you. If anybody mounts a pulpit because he wants to raise money, start saying, I said what I did not say. I will answer him before the service is over. Like my wife would say, don't they fear God? You mount the pulpit. People came to hear the word of God. And you decided you would take that or twist it, turn it into a hook to bring money out of people's pockets into your own pocket. Should I tell you the truth? You will soon die. That's not a warning. I mean, like, that is not a threat. And that's not a joke. It's a literal warning. Stop it or die. Pastor Banky, this is your gospel. It's not New Testament. I don't know what you call New Testament. The God that I serve, the God of the New Testament, he is full of warnings. Judge yourself, Paul said, so that you will not be judged. Ananias and Sapphira, that was not their first sin. Don't think God is very impatient. God is very patient. That was not their first sin. That was not their first sin. God had been warning them, slow down, stop this thing. Slow down, stop this thing. They did not stop. Okay. They wanted to push it to a particular extent. Let me put it like this. And the Lord reacted. They exhausted the patience of the Lord. So, why did God want to kill Moses? It's simple disobedience. The same Moses that he had prepared for 80 years. He wasn't joking. He meant to kill him. Please. That same God is still alive today. He does not always execute judgment rapidly. That is why people continue in disobedience. But hear the prophetic word of God. The time has come 
for everyone to repent. So, this was what confused me, like I was saying. One of the things that confused me in this life, I won't talk about Jonah now, um, um, Balaam now. But here, God demanded that this man should fully obey, otherwise he's no longer useful. At the age of 80, it's a good time to die. I, I don't know whether you're getting my point. <laughs> if he was not going to be useful for the next 40 years, which was what God planned, let's take him now. But then, his wife cooperated, and the boy was circumcised, and then he was restored. And they learned to fear God. That the fact that God is close to me does not mean he will not you know, deal with me harshly. He deals with people harshly. So what should you do? The Bible says fear. I'm not the one that said fear. They say fear does not mean to fear like you fear a rattlesnake. And like I always say, it is true. It doesn't mean that. Because a rattlesnake is not as dangerous as God. Fear him more than you fear a rattlesnake. Because he said, a rattlesnake can only kill your flesh. But God can do worse than that. Please, forget this reverence that only occurs in church. In the presence of God, I can't just hold back the tears. But you can hold back the truth when you leave church. I hope you are getting my point. Anytime I'm in his presence, I just want to worship. I'm sorry to say this. Please, I don't mean any insult. Please, follow me. When you are in church, there are people that want to get to church, they, they come to church wearing white, beautiful white dress. They went to worship time, they hit the floor. They will roll on the floor, dirty their clothes, and say, why is the Lord? When I'm in his presence, the awe of God, listen to me, I'm not God, amen? It does not impress me. Whether it impresses God or not, I really don't know. But it does not impress me. No, it does not impress God too, I can assure you. Because he says something, rend your heart, not your garments. That's what he said. He said, rend your heart. Don't, you want to dirty your cloth. Bros, when you finish worshiping, get up, get up. Now, go and start telling the truth. Go and stop telling lies. That's what I want. You know, sometimes we fast and we pray. He said, God is watching when we are fasting. God said, there's a fast I chose, and it has nothing to do with hunger. That's what he said. I'm not the one that said it. He said, there is a fast I choose. And it is not for a man to go hungry. That's why people say that they are fasting. I said, if you are fasting, I said, you won't eat for three days. I don't understand the logic. I'm not saying don't do it. I just said what? I don't get the logic. Because whether you have eaten or you have not eaten, it does not alter whether God will answer you or will not answer you. I see nowhere in scripture where he says that that would make him answer. You say, but people fasted. He said, hey, wait. Anytime people are fasting, there is one thing I'm looking out for. He said, this is a fast I have chosen for a man to depart from his evil ways. For one to take his food and share with the hungry. Take your clothes and share with those who don't have. He said, that is the fast I chose. So whether you have eaten or you have not eaten, I'm just looking at you like, have you repented? If you don't change your ways, your fasting does not move me. And if you change your ways, why go hungry? I don't know. <laughs> I hope you are getting my point here. So I tell Christians, you know the, Christ, the fast of believers? is time you spend to focus on God. The fact that you are hungry does not mean God will bless you. A hungry man, hungry woman, who has not changed his or her ways, 
is not fasting as far as God is concerned. And one that has changed his or her ways is already fasted as far as God is concerned. That is Christianity I'm teaching. Back to what we're saying. So you see, the decree had to be issued by God. Moses, when he disobeyed, he was going to get a harsh side of God's decree. No, nothing happens on this earth without the decree of the Almighty. But this is the plan of God. That his will and his decree will be the same. That is if he says, now where were we now? We're reading something. Where was it? First Kings chapter what? First Samuel. First Samuel chapter 2. Can you remember that? Yeah. Let me not forget that. I almost did. So that man said, this is the will of God. The Lord was speaking to that prophet. The man of God whose name were not given. That came to Eli. This is the will of God. I have chosen your father's household. I have told them they will carry the effort. They will walk before me forever. That is the will of God. Eli, God's will concerning your life is that you and your children will be priests before me forever. That is the will of God. But then, when God wanted to decree in judgment what will happen to Eli, he said, because you have not honored me, because you have honored your sons more than me, therefore this is my decree, not my will. You see, that's what people don't understand. This is my decree, not my will now. My will is that you will be a priest. My will is that you will offer sacrifices before me. My will is that you will take my portion, all right, of the things that are in Israel, and they will be your own. When people will bring sacrifices, you take the ones that are supposed to burn, you burn. They brought me the sacrifice. I give you the rest. I hope you're getting my point. There's a fat you will take. You, there are some things you will burn to ashes. There's a kind of sacrifice they will bring. You must burn even the bones. All of that, do that. Then the rest, which is an abundance, which is more than 90% of the weight of the animals, you take. Take it home. The priests were supposed to be well-fed. Because that's my will. However, your son said, that one is not enough. The one I said they should burn, no. The one they are so, they will not, no, don't burn it, let me take my own first. People say, let's prepare our own, uh, let's prepare the portion of the Lord. The priest will take his portion and say, no, 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 no. I want it or I take it by force. They were supposed to teach the law. They were disobeying the law. They were sleeping with the girls that came to serve. They were seducing people that came to worship. And those ones will give in to them because, come on, these are the priests in Israel. And their father will call them and say, my sons, what am I hearing you are doing? It's not good, though. It's not good. Have you ever seen somebody trying to train a child? Say, Junior, put that thing down. Uncle does not like it. And Junior will say, no. Say, don't mind him, he's very stubborn. You want to flog the mother? <laughs> I've seen it before. Once I was somewhere, one boy in public, actually a banking hall, a little boy, maybe like three years of age or so. The mother said, no. The mother did not took something from him. He now fell on the floor and began, literally began to trash on the floor. The mother looked and said, when he's like this, just ignore him. In a banking hall. I was, I was looking at the little boy. Can I just be your father for five minutes? 
Let me teach you the fear of God. No, David said it now. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I looked at the boy. I said, Father, five minutes fatherhood is all I'm asking for. The mother just said, hey, Leave him. When it's like this, just leave him. Ha! I couldn't concentrate on my business. And they looked at the woman, they looked at the spoiled child. That was what Eli too was doing. Eli looked at the boy and said, hey, You are taking the sacrifice of God. You know, if you're a friend, man. Somebody can uh, intercede for you. But when you offend God, who are you going to report to? Hmm. The boys continued, and he did nothing. Listen to me. You are held responsible when God gives you power to correct something, and you don't. You are held, no, 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 no. You are held responsible. When the man of God came, he said that to Eli clearly. You have honored your sons more than me. What was he supposed to do? Is simple. Sack the boys. There's no negotiation there. Just say, hey, from now on, these boys are no longer priests. They are not the only ones. They are no longer priests in this place. He will announce and tell the palace, what they call the, the temple guards, move my sons out of here. I won't talk to our father again. That's your problem. God will talk to me. You sack the two boys and say, please, you're supposed to be a blessing to me, not a curse. When God will destroy all of us now, where will we be? But he didn't do that. He allowed the boys to continue. Now, that's, this is the point. Then God now sat in judgment. Now, listen to what I'm saying. He now sat in judgment over the house of Eli. He put his will there. What is my will? That he will be priest before me forever. He put his behavior there. Their behavior, sorry, I wanted to say. And he looked for an intercessor. Two things happened. Either there was no intercessor, or the sin had gotten to a point. It was no longer intercedable. You know how, that one is correct? Okay, thank you. It's good English. Oh, sometimes you stumble into the right thing by accident. (laughs) God said this one, no. There are sins that God said cannot be atoned for by sacrifice. He said they disobeyed God again and again. They sent them prophets until there was no remedy. That's what happened to Israel. God kept on sending them prophets. He said at a particular point in time, there was no remedy anymore. So those, those are the scenarios that may have happened. First, to sit in judgment over the house of Eli. God put his will there. What is my will? I've called the house as priests forever. Forever. How are they behaving? They are not honoring me. Let me just drop something quickly. Anytime God gives you a promise, go and look. It has conditions. People will say some promises are without conditions. Look well. It has. Look very well. Even if God doesn't give it to you, look for it. Dig for it, Solomon said, as one looking for hidden treasure. Say, God said, I will be a priest forever. What is required of him or her that's going to be a priest before God forever? And then the wise, the elders will come and say, come, honor the Lord. He that honors him, he will honor. Then you go and learn how to honor him. That's what he's saying. Paul says, saying that we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves of all defilement of flesh and spirit. 
perfecting holiness. Those who say that ah, I can't lose my salvation. Wait, 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 wait. There are things that God has promised you you will never get if you don't perfect holiness. Holiness is not an option. Don't think the sacrifice of Jesus just makes you, allows you to sit down there and be careless with your life. It's just, it's, I don't know why people want to be arguing on things that will not help their destiny. This is the plan of God. If I've given you a promise, you must perfect holiness in the fear of God if you want it to bless you fully. Many of the things we are fighting the devil over, fighting witches over in our lives, God said, just perfect what? Holiness. Said, just perfect holiness. So in this particular situation, possibly there was no intercessor for Eli, or the sin was no longer intercedable. You guys said the English is correct, but you get the point. This one can no long, could no longer be atoned for by sacrifice. There was no more remedy, the Bible says. So God put those things together and then issued forth a decree. What was the decree? Listen to the decree. The decree, we read a bit of it now. Behold, a time will come that will break your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will be no old man there. You will see the distress of my dwelling. He said, let's continue reading. I want to show some part. He said, all the increase of your house will die in the prime of life. This will be a sign to you which will come concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. On the same day, both of them will die. Then I'll raise for me a priest. Verse 36. Everyone who is left in your house will come to this priest I've raised, bow down to him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and say, Please assign me to one of the priest's offices so that I may eat a piece of bread. This is the decree of God, the judgmental decree. This is not the will of God. That is where Christians have made a mistake again and again. They find it hard to understand the difference between the will of God and the judgment of God. So when you tell them God did things in his anger, God did things in his judgment, God decreed destruction concerning people, they will say it is not the will of God. That is true. It was never the will of God. However, God does not just do his will. He does his righteousness. Did you hear what I said? There's what is called the righteousness of God. He must be just. He has to do what is right. You know what, uh, what uh, this man said? Abraham. Abraham said what? Far be it from the Almighty to do what? Unrighteousness. Far be it from him to do what is unjust. Far be it from him. He said, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Let me tell you the other part. Will you leave the wicked undestroyed? We keep on looking at that part. That God, you know, he doesn't want to destroy at all. No, 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 no. That was what the Bible says. The Bible says what? Let's read it quickly. Genesis chapter 18. Quickly open there. Listen. Those who want to quote some scriptures for me, I'm sorry. Yeah, you have to re- react to some of these things. Let me let you know something. Me too, I know those scriptures. The thief comes not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. John chapter 10. I know it. How God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit and with power and went around doing good and healing all who are oppressed of the devil. I know it. I know those scriptures. They say, no, so the New Testament has revealed the devil is the oppressor. That is true. God is not an oppressor. He's a judge. 
What is oppression? When you are not under judgment and you are being punished, that is oppression. Let me give an example. If you stole my, my, maybe my, my briefcase and police arrest you, charges you to court and puts you in jail for six months, is that oppression? No, answer. Is that oppression? Assuming I'm a very big man, very important. I say, hey, you didn't see what was still is my briefcase you chose. And, I, and I've, I've heard of things like that before. And I tell the policeman to shoot you, and I bribe him, and he does. That is oppression. Because your judgment is not commensurate with the offense. Let's assume the, the judge you, sentences you to six months in prison. At the end of six months, you've done your, you didn't commit another crime in jail. Then, the day before release, there's a lockdown for coronavirus. I hope I get my point. It's four weeks after you were supposed to be released, you are still in jail. Every day after you were supposed to be released is unjust if you are still in prison, no matter the excuse. I hope I get my point here. That is oppression. You are being oppressed by the system. Or they tell you, for example, the, the, the person closed on Friday, you will stay till Monday. That's three days of oppression. The system has oppressed you because you were supposed to be released on Friday. On Saturday, you are sitting in jail. It's one day of oppression. On su- Sunday, you are sitting in jail. It's another day of oppression. They now release you around 3 p.m. on Monday. Three days of imprisonment was unjustly applied to you. That is what the Bible calls what? Oppression. That's what oppression is. If somebody is under a just punishment, it is not oppression. That was why before Jesus could heal, before Jesus could deliver, before Jesus could do all his mighty works, you know what he did? He sent John ahead. And John the Baptist came baptizing people for the forgiveness of their sins. And once John baptized anybody, he was forgiven. And once he was forgiven, the sickness that's still there two days afterwards becomes what? Oppression. Because as soon as he was forgiven, as soon as she was forgiven, she should have been healed. So Satan comes lying that the sickness is incurable. That's an oppressor. Listen to me, people of God. There's no sickness that's incurable. Whether it's HIV, whether it is cancer of any type, if God forgives and he stretches forth the hand of mercy towards somebody, he can receive, she can receive healing anytime. Why? Because Jesus came to liberate all who were what? Oppressed of the devil. That, I'm not teaching in that in details now. Maybe one day we'll sit down on it and go through it you know, bit by bit and show it. I have scriptures to show. That God will say that I pronounce judgment upon my people. This man carried it beyond measure. That if I say, okay, flog the people. If you cut off somebody's ear, I didn't send you that one. I will now turn around and punish you. <laughs> I hope you're getting my point. That's what God is saying. Oppression is punishment that is beyond the decree of God. Or beyond the justice of God. Please, I hope you are getting the point I'm making. Because sometimes people will quote those scriptures for me. 
when you, when you are describing God the judge, they think you don't know what you are saying. Genesis chapter 18. Look at what he said here. God said in verse 20. Okay, let's just start from verse um, eight, 17. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Who's about to do it? Answer me. It was the Lord that said it. So it was not the devil. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation. Verse 19. I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. For time's sake, let's go to verse um, 23. And Abraham came near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? Did you see that? Shall not what? The judge of all the earth deal justly. That is, what was he saying? That's verse 25. He said, Let me read from the Amplified Bible. Shall not the judge of all the earth execute judgment and do righteously? That is, as judge, it is not righteous for him not to execute judgment. It is not righteous for him not to wipe away the wicked. What is unjust is for him to do what? Wipe away the wicked and then add the righteous with it. That is what is unjust. What about they say? God is just, so he must judge. And in his judgment, he decreed against the house of Eli and said, I have to wipe you away. And in the same day as a sign, Hophni and Phinehas, they died. And then when the father heard that the sons were dead, he pained him, but didn't pain him too much. Then he heard that the ark of God had been captured. He fainted. He fell down, hit his neck somewhere, broke the neck, and died. In one day, the strength of the household was removed. And it was not the devil. It was not the devil. That is the point I will, I've been trying to make. So God, that's how he is. For, for that evil spirit to succeed in deceiving Ahab, God had to decree and say, you will go. You will do as you have said and you will succeed in doing it. Many people who preach faith may not like this, but I will say it. For coronavirus to break out, God said, you will break out, you will spread, and you will kill this certain number. I know it's not popular teaching. It doesn't sound nice. But please, let's understand who our God is. Because if we don't understand that, we can't warn the people. A thought came to my mind yesterday. Let me share it briefly. 
And this is what I felt. I was just driving, and the thoughts began to come to my mind. I said, huh, is this the Holy Spirit, or just, I'm just thinking? And I just felt that what the Lord is saying is this. I'm angry with my people, the church. Why? They don't describe me accurately for the world. So the world doesn't fear me. That's not the worrying part of it. The worrying part of it is that I have to teach my people the truth. Otherwise, there's no hope for the world. So I will return to my household with judgment. I don't know what I hear what I said. <laughs> God is not a God of prosperity. He's a just God. We don't go out to preach prosperity to the world. We preach the fear of God to the world. Please, it is wrong evangelism and apostleship work. It's a wrong work of, a, a wrong work of apostleship. To teach the world, come into the church so you can prosper. No. Come into Christ and escape the judgment that is going to come. Because it will come. There are two sides to judgment. There is temporal judgment and there is eternal judgment. Both of them will come upon the wicked. Both of them. Both of them will come upon the wicked. And the Lord is displeased with his people. For not openly saying it. For us to spend more time teaching the world how to succeed economically. For us to spend more time teaching the world how to succeed politically. For us to spend more time teaching the world how to succeed in their businesses. And not say to them, the soul that sins, it shall die. Let me tell you something about the judgment of God upon Africa. I realized something here. Many times we are talking, you know, it agitates me. We speak as if the problem with the African nations... With a country like ours, is poor planning. Somebody forwarded a video to me of a former governor see, trying to analyze the problem with the Nigeria health sector. The budget of Nigeria for 10 years was so and so billion dollars. That is just about, for 10 years, that's about half of what South Africa spends on health in one year. That is about what Ghana spends. And we were talking, this is the problem with this country. I was just shaking my head. The problem is that Christians get carried away with such economic analysis. Let me tell you the truth. No matter how good you are in economic planning, listen to what I'm going to say. No matter how good you are in economic planning, no matter how good you are in political planning, no matter how much you save money, build up external reserves, if the blessing of God is not upon your nation, God said, they will gather, yet I will scatter. You know what he said concerning Esau? He said, I made his mountains a desolation. He didn't say Esau did not know how to plan. He said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, therefore I made his mountains a desolation. That is, they can gather, and I will scatter it. It is an error on the part of the church to prominently preach economic planning. That is the job of Lagos Business School. That is the job of African Center for, what's that one in Enugu here? It's Charles Ludo. It's one African Center for Economic, something, uh, something development. That's their job. And if the church wants to get involved in that, go and join them, and from that platform, speak. But when you stand on the platform of the church of God, please explain to the people there is no prosperity for the wicked. If anyone is under the judgment of God, gather, go to Harvard, bring in the best brains, hand over your economy to them. 
when they finish gathering, the breath of God will blow upon it. Why? It's called the righteous judgment of God. Why? There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. No matter how well he plans, if I have not granted peace, there will be no peace. Listen, Christians, like we said last time, let's learn to see from above. We think the problem is political. We think the problem is economic. That is inability to plan, both economically and politically. They say the problem with Nigeria, we are a very diverse country. Have you ever seen diversity like you see in the United States of America? I like one thing Nero Rufai said some time ago. He said the problem was diversity. That Somalia is not diverse. They have one religion. They speak one language. He said, why are they not at peace? I, I did not know that example until Nero Rufai told us. They're talking about diversity. He said, Somalia does not have it. They all speak one language from one end to the other. They are 99% Muslims. He said, how come they don't have peace? Right now, I'm not going to talk about why a country is blessed or is not blessed, as if we even know what a blessing is, outwardly speaking, anyway. Many of these we call blessing, God, you have not seen anything yet. That the day before I destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, it was an enviable place to go. People were taking visas to go to Sodom. They were selling their father's land to arrange transportation to Gomorrah. Or this is the one man of God today. He, He said he was hoping that the Dead Sea would finally dry up. So that we'll finally find Sodom and Gomorrah. Because it thinks they are buried under the Dead Sea. God said the day before that, they were doing parties. They had the best. Listen, go and check what what Lot looked at. Lot looked and said, my father, see land. See progress. He said, it reminds me of Goshen. There was no Goshen that time. Those who are now recording it for us compared it to Goshen in Egypt. Beautiful land. He moved in there and he saw a developed environment. And God said, leave them. What about the land of Canaan? Canaan was cursed by God as a people. Yet, when Israel got to their land, they said the land was flowing with milk and with honey. They got there, they saw the kind of productivity they did not see in Egypt. Now, when you walk into ShopRite or walk to any of this mall, you buy a grape, or they, they give you inside the traffic. It's one small bowl. Before you reach home, yeah. that one, to carry a bunch, two men had to put a stick and put it on their shoulders. And that was not fairy tale. The people were so advanced, they built walls that Israelites stood beside the walls and looked up, and the wall disappeared into the Heaven, as far as we are concerned. He said the walls were built up to heaven. And a few years after that, all those nations disappeared off the surface of the earth. Some of them destroyed by the Israelites that were approaching. Some of them, Israelites didn't have to fight everybody. Some of them wiped out by diseases. God said, I will send hornets ahead of you. Some of them, bees will just enter the city and empty the city. So please, let's look, let's understand some things. Christians, if you want to do, listen, I believe in business development. I believe we should know the truth about how to live life. But please, that's not what we owe the nation. What we should say to the nation is that, listen, gather, gather all you want, build the best hospitals. 
build the best hospitals, the day of the judgment of the Lord, you will look for the key to open it, you won't find it. If God says, by tomorrow I'm killing 70,000 people, by plague, by pestilence, they will run to the hospitals and you will have prepared the hospitals. The day you need the keys, you won't find it. That's the day that you realize, that, okay, put on the equipment. They say, ah, they were supplied from America. We did not know they put 110 volts instead of, 120, uh, instead of 220. So I don't know, listen, they gathered, yet I scattered. He said, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated, so I made his mountains a desolation. Please, let's understand who God is. Am I trying to scare us about God? Yes. I'm preaching tremble O S before the Lord. But listen, he's not difficult to work with. He's not. He said, what has God asked of you, O Israel? He said, just walk humbly before the Lord. That's all. He has not asked for you anything difficult. Repent of your sins. Your sins are not good for you. Your flesh cannot lead you aright. If you buy equipment and you want to set it up, do you ask the equipment, how do you want it? Or you ask the manufacturer, how did you make it? Do you ask the user, how do you want it? Or you ask the manufacturer, where's the manual? We did not create this earth. We did not create ourselves. The body is yours, you did not make it. You can take your money, go to Innocent, Go to Toyota, go to Hyundai, and buy a car. You see, I have to ask them. Even the car is now yours. They'll see how to give you what? A user's manual. What is sin? Sin is disobeying the user's manual for life. Sorry, the manufacturer's manual, I wanted to say. Of course, the manufacturer gives you the manual for the users. All right? Yeah, so I'm still correct. Sin is when they say, change your oil every 3,000 kilometers. You say, no, the kind of oil we have here is a bunga oil. I will change every 30,000 kilometers. The soul that does not change the oil, it shall knock. <laughs> I hope you are getting my point. Is God having it like that? If they say, plug it into an outlet of, two, of 120 volts, you say, it's my money. I bought it when I was in America. Nigeria, I don't care. You use 240, it's your problem. You plug it. It shall walk for 30 seconds and you hear one gently, gentle hiss inside. Your second boards will fry. Why? It's called sin. It is called what? Iniquity. Let me end with something I said earlier. All right? So we can get into another part of what we want to do. And that's the fact that God put three things in place. I just have been trying to describe the character of God. First, understand him properly. If we don't understand him properly, we can't pray appropriately. Three things I said before he issues his decree. One, he knows his plan. Number two, he looks at the behavior of the people. Then let's talk about number three again. He listens to the prayers of intercessors. Listen. I don't know where you are listening to me from, but he said you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. So this nation that I am standing in here. Me and my brethren are standing in here. On behalf of this nation, we have received mercy. We have received mercy. We have received mercy. 
There are times God will say, this judgment will have gone on for three days spiritually. At the end of the first day, intercessors will look up and say, Lord, have mercy. And he will look and he will stop. Those of you who are fighting the devil, I want to let you know. The devil is a tempter. So leave him alone out of this. What we're having to contend with now is the judgment of God. And when you come to God in judgment, you don't mention the devil. You mention your sins. You mention repentance. You say, Lord, we are sorry. We say, Lord, have mercy. We come to him in repentance. In repentance and in rest, you will be saved. That is the way it is. You don't come with arrogance, rebuking things you don't have power over. You cannot rebuke until God has granted mercy. When God has granted mercy, sometimes the enemy does not run away. The weapon of judgment does not disappear all of a sudden. Then you now speak to that weapon of wrath and say, Thus far and no further, it will die down. That is why you don't see a healing revival until there's been periods of intercession. You don't see a revival, an outpouring of the anointing of the Holy Spirit until people have prayed. It's called the days of John the Baptist. They will go ahead and ask the Lord for mercy for the land. There's the principle of remnant. God says, okay, it's not everybody. Because God was willing to spare Sodom and Gomorrah for the sake of ten righteous people. Unfortunately, he did not find. But let's assume he found. He will have, he will have spared the land. And we will have been saying that, ha, they sinned, yet they have not been destroyed. God said, you don't know the people I found inside. I hope you're getting my point. Those are the confounding variables. There are times you look and say, this will should be destroyed. And God said, yes, I know. But I found 50 righteous. And they are crying to me day and night. And like I said the other time, they can only buy time. They can only buy time. So part of their intercessory assignment, all right, is a correction assignment. After they have bought time, they need to warn the people. And that is what the church has not done for a long time because of political correctness. They need to warn the people that legalizing abortion has consequences. They need to warn the people that legalizing same-sex marriages has consequences. They need to warn the people. There are things we do that we are spilling the blood of the innocent on the ground. It has consequences. It may take 10 years. It may take 20. It may take 30. Sometimes it might take 40. There have been times it took over 100 years. But one day, the blood of the innocent will speak. And God, who is just, who in his justice, he must not destroy the righteous with the wicked. At the same time, in his justice, he must not overlook destroying the wicked, who eventually destroy. Israel disobeyed God for hundreds of years. They were supposed to have Sabbaths. They did not have Sabbaths. It was 490 years thereabout was what it took for the judgment to come upon the land. So when they went out, God said, I'm going to give you 70 years so that the land can have a Sabbath. Because every seventh year, there was supposed to be a sabbatical year in which all they did was worship and wait upon the Lord. But they never, will you believe it, they did not obey that thing one time. So God said the land will enjoy a Sabbath. So he cleaned them out for 70 clean years. At the end of 70 years, to end the oppression, intercessors like Daniel had to arise again. The church has a responsibility to warn the world. Say, listen, you can be saying build refinery, build powerhouses, do everything. If I am angry, 
you will find a tsunami that will arise on the Atlantic. In one day, all your power stations will be drowned. I will send you back 70 years. You wouldn't believe it. There is no planet that can survive if judgment has not been lifted. There's no planet that can survive except mercy is poured upon the land. You know, it's funny. The church, listen to me. The primary assignment of the church concerning the world is to be prophetic. It's part of the apostolic function. When I say prophetic, not to predict. It's a one. But you know what we started doing as a church? We have become economic. We have strategies for national development. And that's our emphasis. Listen, you must understand the Bible, God is concerned about where you lay your emphasis. It's not just what you do, it's where you lay your emphasis. In the time of Noah, they were eating and drinking. And they were married and being given in marriage. The question is simple. Did Noah eat? His children, did they eat? His wife, did she eat? The children, did they marry? Were wives not given to them in marriage? Why was it for them not a sin? I'll tell you, that was not the main thing about their lives. Their life was not how to marry, how to eat. Their lives were about doing the will of God, building the ark. They focus on the purpose of God for their generation. What am I trying to say? So, nobody's trying to say that some of these things we do, they are wrong in themselves. Just like it was not wrong to eat, it was not wrong to marry, it was not wrong to be given in marriage. But what position does it take in your life? Sometimes we have new revelation as a church. We bring all kinds of revelations that show that our gospel has to be relevant. We now water it down. And there's no prophetic word that is speaking to people, saying to them, continue this way, eventually your generations will be destroyed. We hardly have prophetic words going, coming out saying to people, listen to me, the way you are running your lives, eventually you will be destroyed. And that the primary problem you have in life is the judgment of God as a result of your sin. It is not an economic, it is not a political imbalance. You know, I just found out yesterday that last time Sadhu was in Joss, he prophesied the problem that's going on in Kano right now. <laughs> I found out yesterday. When did he come to Joss? Was it late last year? You know, I was praying again today. I said, Lord, there's a kind of prayer I wanted to pray. After a while, I told myself, Bank, wait. So I said to the Lord, please, do the work you have to do quickly. But show us mercy. Because sometimes when God wants to act, what appears like is negative is actually for overall good. That's an important point we must bear in mind. There are things that will appear like they are negative. God says, I know what I'm doing. But what's my emphasis? The church should remember. Listen, we're not a political party. We're a prophetic party. We're a prophetic party. We are the light of the world. We are, listen, and our primary message to the world is not prosperity. It is God is judge. Tremble, O earth, before the Lord. It's not God loves you, doesn't want to destroy you. The, God, the will of God is not that anyone should perish. But God doesn't love you more than that. The love of God starts in Jesus, ends in Jesus. If you reject him, you will perish. And God will do it and not cry. I hope you are getting my point here. Say to the sinner, it will not be well with you. If you have a friend, don't laugh about his sins. He's a married man. He's chasing 
small girls on the side, tell him, bros, this is how people die. I found at the point in time, you know, if preachers were afraid to use words like die, hell, destroy, yes, cursed, words like that, we are afraid because our God is a nice God. God is not nice, he's just. He's good and just. Against the sinner, he has indignation every day. Not me that said it to. There is nothing I have told you that is not in my Bible. I'm not, a, I'm not the original prophet. I read from the prophets. <laughs> Hope you get my point. I'm giving you the words of the prophets. Against the sinner, he has indignation every day. But he doesn't want the sinner to perish. That was why he sent the Lord Jesus Christ. And say, he that believes, I hope you're getting my point, will not perish, but have what? Eternal life. That is the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is not prosperity. The gospel of Jesus is that if you don't repent, you bring your money to, as an offering to church, that money is your reporting yourself to God. It will activate your destruction. The real gospel is for us to come to church and say, praise God, it's offering time, blessing time. If you stole the money, don't bring it. So that because if you bring it, you may die before the end of the service. Amen. So those who did not steal, please bring your offering. <laughs> if they said, listen, build a road in a village, don't tighten the money. It's not your money. When you have done the work and you have your profit, then you can give from it. They can't give you mobilization. You come and, you know, they, they treat God as if he's an idol. Say, so let us give him a portion so that the work will go well. Who do you think you're dealing with? Obatala or what? Because whose money is it? Say government money. For what? To build the road in my village. Go and build it first. If you tighten it ahead of time, your life will be tight, really. <laughs> that is it. That's what we should prophesy. Tell people, deal honestly. Don't cheat people. If you cheat and you come to this church, your business will be destroyed. Don't tell them that you know God accepts them the way they are. It's a lie. He does not. Why do we lie to people? God accepts you the way you are. No, 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 no. Come. He will wash you from the way you are. I hope you're getting my point here. If you come to church once, that is the end of halotry in your life. Don't say God is not judging me. God is judging you. What's wrong with you? Which Bible do you read? Why do we lie to people? God is not judging you. You are judged already. Before you came, you were judged. You have two days to escape judgment. So you see people who go to church, there's no change. Then after a while, listen to what I want to say. God will take their punishment and share with the pastor who did not preach against sin once in the last six years. I have stood where somebody was preaching before, or I sat. And they said, bring blood money, doesn't matter. We will wash with the bigger blood. When God wants to punish the man who's getting blood money, he will remember that man. And say, Pastor, please, oh, I'm punishing those that spend blood money. This is your portion of the punishment. It's your portion of the punishment. You have to get it. Because the man came to church. Instead of you to tell him, the soul that sins dies. You said you should bring blood money, that you have bigger blood to wash it. So you have washed the money. Now wash your punishment. Let me see. Listen. Today I said, let me describe the character of God again. 
tremble, O earth, before the Lord. He said to Christians, this is a terrible thing to fall into the hand of the living God. For the Lord our God, I read it again. I said, maybe that thing was warning their enemies. No, it wasn't warning their enemies. It was warning the Christians against backsliding. He said, for the Lord our God is what? A consuming fire. Let us pray. I think we should pray. Let's rise to our feet and pray. I'm done with what I want to say today. There are two prayer points we have today. First, each individual here, and if you are listening to me, especially, listen, listen to this. Now, I've divided the prayer points into two now. That is, there were two originally. The first prayer point is divided further into two. The first prayer point is about repentance. If you are listening to me and you have not given your life to Christ, I know you have been going to church. In fact, you have been tightened. You know, there are a lot of unbelievers who tight. They have not repented. You are doing business the normal way, but you tithe from the proceeds. You are not saved yet. Let us get that one clear. So if you are listening to me, you have not given your life to Christ. This is what I want to say. Give your life to Christ now. Today is the day of salvation. Like we used to be told those days, it's relevant for today. Tomorrow might be too late. Coronavirus may kill you. There are other things killing people apart from corona. Lassa fever has killed, cholera has killed more people in Nigeria this year, more than coronavirus. Lassa fever is a strong contender. It's killing people. Road traffic accidents. Now nobody is traveling, so it has slowed down. Before they closed the border, <laughs> it was killing more than corona. You may die in your sins and go to hell. Is there fire in hell? I don't know. What I know is that there is torment. Have you ever woken up at night and everywhere is dark and there's no light? You don't even know where you are. No, for the first two seconds, you know whether you are dead or alive. That's what happened to you before, especially when you don't sleep in your own house. You go to a hotel, you are sleeping soundly. The AC was on when you slept too. Then suddenly the AC went off. The generator man is asleep too. It's not only you that will sleep now. The generator man is asleep. Then suddenly you wake up. You know those hotel rooms with their thick curtains? The wall that has nothing, you just wake up. You wonder, wait, am I dead? Or am I dreaming of death? Or death is dreaming of me? You don't even know what's going on. You don't know whether, this is, whether you are standing or you are lying down. If you have experienced it before, you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't last more than two, three seconds before your spirit revives and says, no, no, you are alive. You came to Enugu. You are in a hotel in Enugu. Then you now see one straight light. You rush to the window and say, praise God, I'm not dead. Imagine that that feeling persists for 2,000 years. That's what they call hair fire. If I have that feeling, if I travel with my wife, I just turn. Once I touch her body, you know, she doesn't have such feelings. I just, I just say, okay, okay, I came with my wife. That's comfort, amen? In hell, you can't touch anybody. Everybody is in personal torment. The way Kenegan described it, he said, darkness so thick. You felt you could cut it with a knife. Who wants to spend eternity in such a place? They say a loving God will not do such a thing. And I agree with them 100%. The loving God never does such things. But the just God, he does it. A God of righteousness without injustice, he does it. All the enjoyment you enjoyed on this earth, it will not be able to compensate for one second of the torment of hellfire. 
My first prayer, anyone listening to me, you have not given your life to Christ, you have a minute to do that. It's not hard. Just say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sins. That's what he does. He that believes has passed from judgment into life. Say, Jesus, save me. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is a one-second thing, a two-second thing, a ten-second thing. It doesn't take more than ten seconds. It can be in one second. And as a sign of repentance, wherever you are there, get on your knees. Put up your hands and say, Lord, save me. Or put your head down, whatever. But get up from where you are, if you can. And say, Jesus, save me. If you're on a hospital bed or something, you can't. Just wherever you are, because of that restraint, he will still see your heart. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Break your heart before him and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Mention two of the things you know were sins you were committing and repent of them. Now, that's not the main, thing, main sin. You should let him know that truly you are sorry for your past life. But there are many good things you were doing that as far as he was concerned, they were sins. That's the first prayer point. The second prayer point is for believers who have not been walking closely with the Lord. Who have been bragging, I have Abraham as my father. It's time to say, Lord, Forgive me of my trespasses. You are the ones, we are the ones, that's a better way to put it. We are the ones that John wrote to and say, if we shall confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's another prayer. So let us pray. Say, Lord, there are different aspects of life. I, I give you my life 100%. But there are areas I may not be walking as I should be walking. Maybe because of lack of understanding. Have mercy upon me. Teach me to do what is right. Teach me to do what is right. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. That is, reveal it to me. Show me this is what is wrong. This is where my tongue is not clean. This is where impatience, I don't have control of my spirit here. This is where my eyes are roving. This is with the love of the world. This is the things in the world that I'm still holding on to. This is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The things are in the world. The way I have loved the world. Those things were written to believers. When they say, do not love the world. What does it mean? Some believers are loving the world. There's an important prayer point I want everybody to pray. So important, believers. We are still on the second, that is the second part of that first point. Say, Lord, because this is one thing I realize a lot of Christians talking about love of the world. A lot of Christians don't realize. One day you will give account for your life for oh. And God will say, there is an assignment. There was an assignment I gave you. How well did you do it? Like I said, eating and drinking is not a problem. Marrying and being given in marriage is not a problem. But it is a problem if you are not building the ark. It is a problem if you are not focusing on why God gave you life. When Solomon asked for wisdom, he asked for wisdom so that he could do the will of God. Say, Lord, today, help me to do your will. Where I have made the will of God secondary. And one day a man came to me. He said, now that I have reached the peak of my career, I now have time to do the things of the ministry. I ran home and told my wife, please make sure I never say such a statement. Otherwise, you will be a widow. I said, no, 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 no. no. Make sure I never utter such a statement. I said, like an egg, said, either the man is not called or is hopelessly unfaithful. You cannot use, I mean, you cannot abandon the reason why God gave you life until you have finished other things. Until you have built a house. 
A man came and said, Jesus, I will follow you. Let me first go and tell my father. Let me go and settle my father. Bury my father. Let my father. He said, no, 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 no. <laughs> if you want to you know, follow this gospel, you put your hand on the plow, you can't look back. I know your, th- your thoughts are legitimate. You need to make a provision for your family. Jesus said, when I sent you out without the post or script, did you lack anything? Say, trust me and go where I want you to go. You cannot leave the reason why God gave you life until later. It doesn't work. It does not work. Please, go and listen to my message. Quench not the spirit. It's on our website. I discussed that thing inside there. But right here, pray and say, Lord, the reason you gave me life, the reason you gave me life, let me begin to do it right now. I forsake the love of the world. Listen, people of God, God can build you a house, I know, but you don't have to. It's not the most important thing. It's not even a major prayer point. God will take care of you. Your name does not have to be known internationally. That's not even a prayer point. Today I was praying for myself again, and I said to the Lord, there are things I can't even ask you, but I want you to help me, Lord. Let my heart be at rest in these areas. So I will be praying, God, give, send me money. My own prayer is, Lord, make me not want money. It's a more important prayer point. Put me at rest. That which you have given me. Help me to appreciate it. So with my wife yesterday, and we're analyzing the blessings, blessings that people don't quantify. You sleep every day at night, you don't quantify it. If God gives you sleeplessness, you would understand what it means. Michael Jackson was spending $200,000 a month for a doctor to help him sleep at night. You don't count it. <laughs> My wife and I were just counting the blessings. I said, this is money we don't have to spend. Think about it. These are areas we don't have to spend money on. We may not have the money, but we don't have to spend it. Think about it. What am I trying to say? There's no reason why you shouldn't obey the call of God for your life. It's not worldliness. That's why we are running away. It's not worldliness. Love not the world or the things that are inside the world. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Me too. I must be an important person. It's why many people don't fulfill the will of God for their lives. Prayer is our prayer meeting. It's a school of prayer. Knowing the most important things to pray about. I hope you are not still there praying about your enemies, which you want them to fall down and die. You don't need that. You need your conscience reawakened to follow God. You need truth. God desires truth in the innermost being. You need a walk in the plan of God for your life. Pray about that. So you can be the salt of the earth indeed. So you'll be the reason why God will show mercy upon a land. Say, Lord, I repent of the fear of tomorrow. Say to the Lord, I repent of the fear of tomorrow. I repent of the fear of tomorrow. It manifests in different areas in people's lives. Say to the Lord, I repent of the fear of tomorrow. And last of all, let's ask mercy again for whichever land we are in. That's the second prayer. You know I said there were two prayer points. One is personal. We took that one in two dimensions for those who have not believed in Christ. And those who have believed in Christ who need to walk closer with him, that's the first prayer point. The second prayer point, now let's pray for the land we are in again. It's simple. Say, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. In your mercy, cause the plague to cease. In your mercy, don't let our economy be destroyed. In in your mercy, grant us peace. In your mercy, grant us peace. In your mercy, grant us peace in our homes. In your mercy, grant us peace on the highway. 
In your mercy, grant us peace in our workplaces. In your mercy, grant us peace in our government. In your mercy, let us have peace. You say you want us to live in peace. So you say pray for the leaders of your land. We pray for the leaders of our country. Give them wisdom. You desire for everyone to be saved. Lord, give us peace so that we can spread the knowledge of truth. Send prosperity into the spread of your truth. Lord, in the name of Jesus, in this land, send laborers into your harvest. We need to harvest the whole land. If you grant us peace, it's not so that we can go and build better houses in our villages or abroad. It is so that every corner of this land, peace will reign there. Say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, grant us peace and send laborers into your harvest. The whole world is afraid. Say, Lord, thus far and no further. That is our prayer. Let your peace abide upon our land. Let your peace abide upon our land. Say, Lord, let your peace abide. Let your peace abide. Let Jesus be exalted. Let's add one more prayer upon. Pray for the church of God. That we understand God in truth and know the gospel we are to preach to the world. I mean, the Holy Spirit has to help us. It's not by our own strength. Pray. Say, revive your church once again, Lord, with truth. Revive your church once again, Lord, with truth. Reveal yourself to your people, Lord, so that we can, we can declare you effectively. So we can reflect you effectively. Reveal yourself to your people. We have not done the world justice. We have not been kind to them. Let me say it like that. We have lied to them. We didn't tell them the kind of God that really is. And we are sorry. Now reveal yourself to us and help us to speak the truth. Let's continue to pray for the church, that the Lord will revive his church. That is our prayer. That the Lord will revive his church. You are, you are the church. Say, Lord, revive your church. We truly want to see a revival in your church. Everywhere, everywhere. We truly want to see a revival in your church. After this, let there be fire on the altar again. Let's pray for the church of God. And say, Lord, we truly want to see revival. We truly want to see repentance everywhere. In the name of Jesus. Pray. Pray. Like Paul said, we should pray in 2 Thessalonians. That the word of God will grow. That the word of God will spread and will be honored everywhere it goes. Pray that prayer. Say, Lord, let your word spread and let it be honored everywhere. Let it be.